cannot do. Lord, your word declares that you can do exceeding above all that we could ever think of or ask. Lord, we're not believing for enough. And Lord, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. Lord, just in the atmosphere when you show up, Lord, sick conditions can be completely reversed. Lord, it doesn't take the anointing with oil or even the laying on of hands. For, Lord, you sent your word and healed them of their disease and delivered them from their own destructions. Lord, we're too dependent upon man. Lord, we're too dependent upon the preacher. We're too dependent upon the prayer warrior. And thank you, Lord, for all that they can do. But really, Lord, we need a touch from you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Someone doesn't need Pastor Phil to touch them to get their healing tonight. And Lord, I believe even as the word of faith goes forth tonight, Father, you can reach down and stir every heart. Hallelujah. Lord, someone can have their moment, Lord, even before we get to that moment in the service. Hallelujah, Lord, for nothing is impossible with you. Hallelujah, Lord, I completely trust you. Hallelujah, Lord, men have failed us and men have let us down. Lord, we've bought into what they've told us we need. But I thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that doctors can have. But, Lord, we've put too much trust in the doctor. And we haven't put trust in you. Lord, you'll work when everything else fails. And you'll also work when everything else works. Hallelujah. Lord, whether it's a very difficult situation or something what we would call relatively simple, I'd rather you touch me, Jesus. Lord, for you, with you, there's no side effects except for joy. And happiness. And a desire to tell everybody what Jesus has done for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I don't know of every condition tonight. I don't see anybody on crutches or no one in a wheelchair. No one's been carried in on a stretcher. But Lord, I do know what is here. You can change. And, Lord, even there are needs beyond who is here tonight. But, Lord, even as I preach this morning, you want to release some gifts inside of us to touch a world that's broken and hurting and without hope. And, Lord, I thank you for the fellowship, the interaction Rachel and I have had with Pastor Terry and Brenda. I thank you, Lord, for... Friendships, renewed friendships. And I thank you, Lord, that we find out that we're not in this battle all by ourselves. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for taking away any discouragement, any weariness. But, Lord, giving a breath of fresh, new direction. Hallelujah. Shimmy hikiti ki shomanda la liatai.
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just asked you, Lord, to do something tonight that makes those that are not here wish they had a been. Hallelujah. And Lord, has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, tonight we're not going to miss our moment. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Rachel, would you like to say anything tonight? Or you may be seated tonight in the presence of the Lord. I'd like to say thank you all for having us. Everybody's been so gracious and so inviting to us. And I think we've met just about everybody that's been here. It's been a privilege and a, a blessing. And um, thank you for the wonderful accommodations. That's such a comfortable comfortable bed and a comfortable room. And uh, thank you, Sister Brenda and Pastor Terry, for everything that you've done for us. And um, it's just been a pleasure to be here this weekend. God bless you. Honest to God tonight, I hope I don't offend anybody. Well, I... I, I, I think I'm close enough to the border that I can get out in a fair amount of time if I need to. Maybe once I get across the state line into Oklahoma, maybe I can make a dash for Texas and I'll be fine. But I heard, I, I gave Pastor Terry a kind of a snippet of what the thought of my message might be. And he said, oh yeah, you're going to have some trouble out of somebody. So uh, I just... I hope you love me. Amen. Hey, where's Leonard? Do, do people normally show up here in motorcycles? We came in from the pastor's house for dinner, and there is somebody out there riding in circles in the parking lot. Is that normal? Okay. Was he learning how to ride a motor, motorcycle or what? Waiting on, okay. Only been driving 20 years, so he was just, I thought, well, maybe he just took off his training wheels or something. But, but he, know, he knew what he was doing. Okay. Well, you know, men don't like to sit still, you know. We get very, very antsy if we sit still. So he was, at least was doing donuts in the church parking lot. So uh, practicing, practicing. Well, I'm kind of relieved that Leonard's not here. Now, I hope to God he doesn't walk in the middle of my message and says, What are you preaching about? And, uh, but I, 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 I'm not too familiar with Kansas. This is about as the park or the other side of town is about as far as I've ever been in Kansas. And, you know, uh, and I'm not, I'm not at odds with anything in Kansas because Oklahoma is a buffer between Texas and Kansas. But I, I was Googling, what is the most prominent college football team in Kansas? The Jayhawks? K-State? Don't believe a word of it. What is their mascot? The Wildcats. So, purple Wildcats. So who should I be rooting for? Jayhawks. For basketball, I think the basketball must be team must be pretty good because they run a lot of, uh, yeah, r real good. 
But where I, where I come from, it's Aggies, and it's Longhorns, and it's uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders. But, you know, I'm not, uh, and I, I've got lots of friends in Louisiana, and over there, it's all about the LSU Tigers. In Oklahoma, I did a lot of ministry in Oklahoma, and, I, man, people get bent out of shape over the, the ordeal between the Sooners and the Cowboys. You know, and I was, uh, uh, really, I guess when I first preached this message, I was in the heart of Louisiana, uh, a boy from Texas, and I was preaching about a football team, well, not a football team, but I was preaching about the Oklahoma Sooners. And I didn't know if I'd get run out of Louisiana or not, but I, I, I did survive. I preached along this line in Texas for Easter, and I survived uh, even though I was preaching about Oklahoma not, I, I survived Easter. And I, I am writing a chapter in my new book about discouragement, difficulties, and defining moments. And this is going to be one of, the, my, one of the chapters in my book. And the chapter of my book is called, I, I'm afraid to tell this, Boomer Sooner. It won't sell a copy. It won't sell a copy in Kansas and parts of Oklahoma. Well, you know, we, we laugh about the rivalry between football teams. And, I mean, people get very up in arms about it. But you know what? My philosophy, my thinking is, because I'm not really an Aggie fan. I'm not a Texas Tech fan. I'm not a, a A&M fan. Not a Longhorn. His kingdom ruleth over all. Amen. God's bigger than the Jaybirds. Jayhawks. Jay Cox, okay. I will make an enemy. Call him the Jaybirds. The Jayhawks. He's bigger than the Oklahoma Sooner. He's bigger than the Oklahoma Cowboy. Amen. Uh, he, God is bigger than all that. But you know, I love history. And I want us just to erase college athletics for a few moments. Can we think about kingdom stuff tonight? Now there's a Texas Red Raider fan right there, aren't you? So I'll be very careful, all right? But let's erase all that competitive stuff. And honest to God, churches have problems because rivalries are so intense. And I know guys like to have fun. Guys like to pick one another. But when it crosses that line where we begin to offend brothers and begin to hinder people from coming to the house of God because of our, uh, uh, our uh, athletic persuasion or even our, uh, our political persuasion. And even I, I found that there's even some theological persuasions that it's not worth the fight. Amen? Someone said one time, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can put a dog against a skunk and the dog is always going to win. But is the stink worth it? Amen? But I want to talk tonight about kingdom stuff. But you know, I love history. Yes, I'm from Texas. They say if a man's from Texas, he'll tell you. If not, don't embarrass him by asking. I am from Texas. And I love stories of the Alamo. Lord willing, my wife and I will be at the Alamo again for about the 15th or 20th time here in a couple of weeks. I love to go there. I love to go there just to stand in the presence of a place where men laid their lives down for a greater cause. I love to go just south of us 
uh, the San Jacinto battlefield. That's where uh, General Sam Houston, which was one of my relatives on my daddy's side, uh, and uh, in the lineage of Sam Houston, and where Texas won with just a handful of Texans, uh, defeated an army uh, by the thousands that were taking a nap. Texans know how to fight. You know, I, I love history. But I, I stumbled because of all my travels uh, in, in Oklahoma. A, a very real part of Oklahoma history has, has really challenged me. And touched my heart and inspired me. And I, I, and I want to share that with you tonight. And, uh, but, you know, back in the early 1800s, and I, I don't agree with everything about American history. I don't like everything about American history. But as the United States government began to put Native Americans into their, into their reservations, we began to kill their buffalo we begin to put up fences. We begin to take their land. We begin to kill their people and their children. And before long, we put them on reservations. Now, it's one thing to put people on a reservation if you're going to take care of them and give them a good piece of land to make a good living for themselves. But what the American government did way back then, they found parts of Oklahoma that were not fit what they thought for Anglo habitation. And they put these natives, as they called them, onto these reservations. And by the 1890s, almost every Native American in North America had been placed on a reservation. Because... They put them on land, as I said, not fit for what they thought was human habitation. But then with modern farming techniques coming into play and more modern type of equipment, they found that some of this land was actually habitable for white people, for Anglos. And the government began to take back land that they had previously given to the Native Americans. And it was in 1889 that President Benjamin Harrison was convinced to reallocate some of this reservation land to be given back to the American people. And what President Harrison did was he sent the army in people that could survey and plot and map out. And they began something that history calls it the Oklahoma land rush. Now, the land rush that was central around Oklahoma City and Norman, Oklahoma, that area was probably one of the largest and most famous. And the army went in before white man was ever allowed and they laid out cities like Edmond, Oklahoma, like Norman, Oklahoma. Even before there was anything there, they already had plots of land for city halls, for post offices, for stagecoaches, and just everything that it would take to make a city. Plotted out places for schools, and they plotted out 160-acre tracts 
and they put a flag in the middle of the track, and all you had to do was on the particular day, it was on April 22nd, they were going to release tens of thousands of settlers to rush in uh, to this area, and all you had to do was grab a flag that had a number on it and stake your claim, and then you had to file the claim, and the 160 acres belonged to you. Now, you know, looking back, that was a pretty rotten deal that what we did to the American Indians. Amen? It wasn't fair. But even though they only had like a seven-week notice, American settlers by the tens of thousands lined up along the boundary lines, and at 10 minutes to 12 on April 22nd, the, 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 the thing that would initiate the land rush, they would, they would detonate a cannon, and when a boom went off, everybody raced to, to grab their flag and to stake out their claim for land. These were called the Oklahoma Boomers. Did anybody know that's where the name Boomer came from? I've been in parts of Oklahoma, and people didn't know where the word boomer come from. But when it booms, you're off to the races, and people lost everything they had because they were going so fast, the wagons would turn over, people would, uh, horses would trample people. People lost their lives trying to stake their piece of land, and unfortunately, some people never got a plot of land. Those were boomers. Now, do you know where the name Sooner got its name from? Sooners were those that didn't play by the rule. They weren't at the starting line. They weren't waiting for the boom of the cannon to tell you it's time to get off, be off and, and stake your claim. There were actually people, some of them from the army. Some of them were political uh, 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 officials. Some of them were just plain people that wanted a piece of land so bad that they would break the rules or bend the rules and they would hide out in the canyons. They'd hide out in the caves. They'd hide out in the bushes. Anywhere that they could hide their horse and anywhere they could hide their wagon, they would hide themselves. And yet on that, that April 22nd, when the boom went off, they were in position to get their claim sooner than everybody else. Now that's a pretty interesting story. And you know, I've been around in prophetic circles where they've actually, or I've heard of prophetic circles that have denounced the spirit of the sooner. Oklahoma is nothing but a bunch of thieves and bandits and crooks and swindlers. But I kind of, as I begin to read history, Something about these guys begin to challenge me, begin to excite me. And I had to begin to think, if I lived back then, would I have been a boomer or would I have been a sooner? And you know what? I find out that Oklahoma is a land of the sooner. That's right in the heart of where Oral Roberts was raised, was born. 
And he was before his time, a great healing ministry when it was not acceptable. He was out there before he should have been. Before, healing before it was acceptable in churches. You get people like, who was it? Kenneth Hagin and different ones that rose to the occasion. And they were on the cutting edge of things that I know where I grew up. In East Texas, we were not allowed to read the teachings of Kenneth Hagin. Yeah, really. And now I, I understand it was all jealousy. Those faith people. Well, let me tell you, I'd rather be a faith person than a faithless person. I'd rather be a person that believed God than a person that had to explain the stuff away. I remember during that time my dad had a very bad back injury. He was going to a Catherine Kuhlman crusade in, in Houston. And my preacher's wife, and I loved them to death, but they told dad, you don't need to go to a Catherine Kuhlman service. She said you can get a healing, which is the truth, but the truth is nothing was happening at home. Sometimes you got to go where you got to go and do what you got to do. You got to play by your own rules and not their rules because if you listen to their rules, you're going to be busted and disgusted and have nothing to show for your faith in God. And I begin to think about God's Word. And I can find it clear in God's Word. I can find it clear just in people. There are people that play by the rules and there are people that don't. I've decided in my, 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 my journey in finding who I am in God, I've decided I fit in much better with a sooner than I do with a boomer. He said, Pastor Phil, what are you trying to say tonight? Jesus doesn't play by the rules. Are you with me? Jesus doesn't play by the rules. And I'm thinking about the time that Jesus got a message. Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus in John 11 that Lazarus was sick. Jesus got there, what was it, four days after he had died... And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Now it's a fact. Every Bible-believing Christian will acknowledge the fact that one day we will rise again. But the question is, are we going to rise sooner than later? She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Listen, the sooner Jesus himself said, even though you die, you're going to live. And you're going to live sooner than later. And when Jesus said this, Jesus broke the rules. He called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out. That's not supposed to happen. When a man dies, he's supposed to stay dead. When you're all bound up, 
in your grave clothes and the stone has been placed upon your tomb, you're not supposed to come out except you're Jesus, and he doesn't have to play by the rules. And when Jesus spoke, Lazarus came out. And one preacher said one time, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he didn't designate singularly Lazarus, every dead man that ever died would have came out of the grave. Jesus had to be a sooner. Bartimaeus tried to play by the rules. He was with a band of blind men. They saw Jesus one day go into Jericho. And Bartimaeus says, I've heard about this man. He does things different than the other religious leaders that we have seen and heard. And he had a plan. He says, I'm not going to do what I've always done. You know that old saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. He decided it was a day for him to act up and to break the rules. You know that the rules were in that day, you wore a particular kind of cloak if you were a blind man, kind of like having a handicap sticker on your car. People need to watch out for you because you, you have some handicaps. But the Bible says when he's... Heard, he didn't see Jesus coming. He heard Jesus coming. And he stood up. And the Bible says he cast aside his cloak because he knew that he wouldn't need it anymore. And he began to call out for Jesus. And while those that were playing by the rules says, Bartimaeus, you got to be quiet. We don't make noise like that. But even as they said, you better tone it down, he began to cry out louder. And here comes Jesus walking down the way. And the cry of Bartimaeus stops Jesus in his tracks. And Jesus doesn't call out everybody. Someone said one time, if you got a gift of healing, why don't you just go to the hospital and heal everybody? Well, even Jesus didn't do that. Jesus always healed anyone that came to him, and he never turned anybody away. But Jesus will pass by people that are content with playing by the rules. Men were convinced to play by the rules. And they let Jesus pass by. And the one that was busted and disgusted with everything life had left them disappointed and sick and blind. All he ever got out of life was a coin ever now and then from somebody having mercy upon him. But Jesus stopped in his track and broke the rules because we all know blind men are supposed to stay blind. Unless Jesus comes by. And Jesus doesn't play by our rules. There are times that the disciples had a need. They had to pay their taxes. Again, Jesus didn't play by the rules. And Jesus put a coin in a fish's mouth. Now we know the rules say that when you have a financial problem, you're supposed to worry and fall all apart. But Jesus said, guys, relax, just go fishing. 
And the first fish that you catch, I put a coin in its mouth. And when they went fishing, they pulled out a fish. And just like Jesus said, God had put a coin in the fish's mouth. Left up to most preachers and most churches. Once you're poor, you're supposed to stay poor. Once you have nothing, you're supposed to have nothing. But Jesus came to turn a situation around. Listen to this. Jesus was going through Nain one day. He was coming into the city and he saw a funeral procession coming out. Now listen, Jesus is not supposed to touch dead people. You know, when, when the funeral procession comes by, you park on the side of the road and you wait till they go by. Let them pass in peace and then you go. But Jesus didn't play by those rules. There's a procession and his procession was about to intersect with their procession. And Jesus was about to do something. He went over there and touched the, the coffin where the, the young boy was. And, and, and it shocked them because he wasn't supposed to do that. And they said, Jesus, what are you doing and, and Jesus said, the boy is just asleep. But when Jesus told the young man, young man, I say unto thee, arise, even though the boy was dead, the boy didn't listen because there was something inside him, amen, that responded to the voice of faith. When Jesus says, rise up, it didn't make no sense. They should have put him in the ground. That mother should have kept on grieving, but he got up from there. The woman had her son back. Can you say amen? How do you like this story? There were so many people around Jesus. He showed up probably at someone's house one day for dinner. And people found out Jesus was there. Someone knocked on the door, says, we have a sick loved one, can you help us? And Jesus healed him. Well, listen, word spreads. And all of a sudden, there were so many people knocking at the door. You couldn't get another person inside the house. There was, there was, there was four men that their friend that had, what was it? He, 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 had, uh, he was, was it Paul's or what was it? He was lame. They said, Jesus is doing stuff. If we can just get our friend inside the door. And when they went and retrieved their friend and got up to the door, they couldn't get anywhere near the front door. And they were about to go turn away, disappointed. But one of them said, we don't have to play by the rules. While they're standing in line, being nice. Everybody being sweet. Everybody doing what they've been told, just stand in line. They got impatient. And they said, we want a breakthrough for our friend. And they did what they shouldn't. Wasn't supposed to do. They climbed on top the roof. And they opened up the top of the house. And they tied some ropes to the stretcher that held their friend. And all of a sudden Jesus was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing. And all of a sudden dust and cobwebs and stuff began to fall on his head. And he looked up and says, what on earth? The sky had opened up. No, they, they, they took the ceiling off. 
And they let their friend down right in front of Jesus. Don't we know that's not the rules we're supposed to play by? Listen to this. Disciples in a boat. Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, call me to come to you. And Jesus says, Peter, come. Now, <laughs> plan by the rules you sink. Now, Peter, I think I'd have probably sank too because what on earth is happening here? But when he stepped over the side of the boat, the water congealed beneath his feet. And here comes Jesus. Peter didn't play by the rules. Here's another. A woman comes busting in the door. And she falls at the feet of Jesus. And she begins to kiss his feet. And she anointed his feet with alabaster oil. And begin to wipe them dry with the hair of her head. And somebody says, that money could have been given to the poor. There's times that we've been tempted in our life to get extravagant with God. Just to give something because God asked or God, we wanted to give our best to God. The rules say, if you're going to give, give to the poor. And Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor. Brother, would you come to the piano, please? Jesus, let her break the rules and wash and kiss his feet. Now listen to this. They put Jesus on a cross. Now, when the young man was dead, Jesus called him forth. When Lazarus was dead, Jesus called him out of the grave. But they hung Jesus on the cross, drained every drop of blood from his body, beat him like no man's ever been beaten. And then to make sure that he was dead, they took a spear and thrust it through his heart. Yeah. Let's see if Jesus comes back this time. They weren't about to let Jesus come out. They weren't taking any chances. And so to make sure he didn't come out of the grave, they put a group of soldiers that have sworn with their life. They ain't nobody going to steal this man's body. But there was something inside that grave. Something inside Jesus. Though his body was dead, his spirit wasn't dead. And the word says if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he'll also quicken our mortal body. You see... Jesus didn't play by the rules. He wasn't going to stay dead. 
He wasn't going to allow himself to stay dead. But on the third day, just like he said he would, the earth began to quake from the inside out. It wasn't that anybody rolled the stone away except the angels of the Lord. And Jesus came out of the grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Let me tell you the thing I'm trying to tell you. God doesn't play by the rules. God will do what He needs to do whenever He needs to do it. Wherever He needs to do it. Whenever He needs to do it. For whoever He needs to do it to. And the only thing that keeps us from our miracle is when we don't believe that God can do it. Religious circles, even Pentecostal circles, will think, well, you, God doesn't heal anymore, or God used to heal, or sometimes He heals. But I believe tonight God can do anything, anytime, anywhere for anybody, and He doesn't have to explain Himself. So why can't God do stuff tonight? Why can't God do stuff tonight? I believe He is who He says He is. And He will do what He said He would do. Can you say hallelujah? God, He divided the Red Sea. That doesn't make any sense. When the children of Israel were thirsty, He made water gush from the rock. For a small boy facing a giant, he let a stone find its mark. To help Joshua win the battle, God caused the sun to stand still. And to give a Savior, God caused a virgin to have a baby. All that gets me excited. But one thing that really gets me excited too, one day, when even though they put us in the ground... We're supposed to stay there. Well, one day the trump of God's going to sound. And we're not going to play it by the rules. Our body is going to come out. Amen. Our body is going to be reunited with our soul. A, a, a glorified body is going to rise to be with Jesus. God will make earthly situations work against earthly logic. Now listen to this. Because Jesus rose, we talked about that, validates every promise he ever gave. John reported what the religious folks were saying. This is what it said out of the New Living Translation. If we let Jesus go on like this, everybody will believe in him. You know, sometimes people want to argue about stands that we take. But you know, they can't argue with a miracle. We might have differences on interpretation, doctrinal things, revelational things, end time things. 
But you can't argue with a miracle. When they beat Peter and John, it says, don't you ever. See, they just tried to get rid of Jesus. And it doesn't make any sense that when a man has been beaten and threatened to be beaten again, we told you to keep your mouth shut. But they said, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. I do believe tonight God can do anything. The last time I preached it like this was in Maumee, Louisiana. A lady comes up, young lady, probably 34, 35 years old, totally deaf in one ear, never heard out of it because she did not have the mechanisms in her ear to hear. Well, I saw on TV, if the man of God will get up there and speak a word of faith into the ear, the ear will open up. But I decided I don't want to speak into any woman's ear except my wife's. And I called her husband over. I said, I'm not going to whisper in your wife's ear. Why don't you whisper? And the first word she heard out of her right ear was her husband whisper. I don't know what she, he whispered, but it got her excited. Because that night God wasn't playing by the rules of unbelief and doubt. And God opened up her ear. God can heal the blind just because he wants to. Brother, God can heal a heart. Worldly wisdom says, well, you got to die of something. Well, there's some truth to that, but you don't have to be sick with that. Amen. Let me die from laughing so hard. Or let, me, let me fall asleep and never wake up. But we don't have to have disease in our body. Now, I don't understand sometimes every disease is not healed. I, I've got as many questions as you, but I've seen God do it. And I know one thing. Jesus said, or the Word says, we have not because we ask not. And you know, at home I tell my folks, when we make a time to minister to the sick, don't sit back. Well, I didn't want to bother the preacher. Didn't want to bother. What really bothers me is when the anointing is lifted off of me and I'm at home in my easy chair trying to relax after church service, and someone calls me and says, Pastor, I didn't come up tonight for a prayer because I didn't want to bother you. Well, we want to be bothered. Are you with me? Are you with me? Now, we love people. We'll pray for people anytime, anywhere, for any reason. But when God's in the house... Why don't you step out and see what God will do? Well, what if we pray for the sick and nothing happens? 
Well, what if we pray for the sick and something does? I'm not going to go home tonight wishing, thinking I would have prayed for somebody. I'm going to believe God for everybody that has a need. And let me, let me give you a little tidbit. Go do, go do your homework. The Scripture never records that Jesus ever prayed for the sick. He spoke to the condition. He would touch them with his hand. He would tell them something to do, but you'll never find in God's Word recorded that Jesus ever prayed for the sick. I'll tell you something else. You'll never, ever find it recorded that the apostles ever prayed for the sick. The only ones that were healed with the anointing of oil was after the Bible says, if you're sick, pray. And if that doesn't work, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them in the name of the Lord and anoint them with oil. But the apostles... They moved with power. But we think the only way that we can get healed is when we take the little bottle of oil. You don't read of Jesus dabbing people with oil. Go, go research it. I wrote a chapter in my book, Second Wind. That's not how Jesus did it. I've prayed for the sick. I've asked God to heal. Sometimes when I didn't have a direct word that I felt something was going to happen. I'm not saying we're wrong by praying for the sick. But Jesus simply said, heal the sick. Jesus didn't say plead with devils that they come out. He says, cast out devils. Amen. If Jesus said it, I believe it. Now, I'm not trying to get wacky or weird or outside your theology, but our rules will say, well, the only way you can get healed is when we have a holy huddle up here and we. Sometimes Jesus spit on them. Never know what Jesus was going to do. Sometimes he just simply said, take up your bed and go home. And the healing was in obedience. So let's don't make a bunch of rules that aren't in God's Word. Jesus simply said, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Amen. And if you can't have faith, pray. But if you have faith, believe. God's Word. Believe that life and death is in the power of our tongue. Let's stand. My God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do anything. 
He made this world and all its fullness and all that time shall bring. My God can do anything. One more time. My God can do anything. Anything, anything, my God can do anything. He made this world and all its fullness and all that time shall bring, my God can do anything. Oh, I would love to have been in an old Roberts crusade. I, I didn't realize that was one of his songs. I just knew we sing it all the time growing up. I'm convinced tonight that God can do anything. There were times that Jesus went to heal the girl that was dead, had to send all unbelief out of the room. Kenneth Hagin said, and if anybody knew anything about healing, Kenneth Hagin did. He said, the house of God is the hardest place in the world to get anybody healed because there's so much unbelief. I do know that I've prayed for a bunch of people in the house of God that never got a healing. I've prayed for some that have. But sometimes that old religious spirit pops its head up. And it robs us of our faith. Brother, I believe Jesus will heal that heart tonight. Would you come? When I asked tonight, I said, are you the brother with the bad heart? You said, yeah, I got a bad neck and a bad back. What I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to believe God for your heart.